Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Miss the show, no problem. On point and on the podcast. Vaccine mandates have been weaponized in this election, something that medical experts pleaded with politicians not to do before the election started. Well, the warnings have been ignored, so how does this help or hurt in getting the vaccines into the hesitant. We'll talk about that. Ontario comes out with a vaccine passport, but when you look at it, it's rife with loopholes and it will be left up to mostly businesses to enforce. So how does that work? And the one election policy we aren't talking about, but we should be, especially if the Liberals are elected because Bill C-10 is the policy that will affect us most. Let's get talking. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. We don't get fooled again. Isn't there a hospital you should be going to bother right now? Mm-hmm. Even if the guy deserves it, antagonizing a protester is irresponsible, if not just really dumb. Alex Pearson with you on this Tuesday, September 14th. And a sad day indeed. We've been hearing about this for the last couple of hours. And this is one of those things that when I saw it come across my um, my technology, my BlackBerry, whatever the hell, iPhone, uh, I was just like, oh, not Norm MacDonald. Not Norm Macdonald. I love Norm Macdonald. He was one of, like, bar none, one of my faves. One of my absolute faves. No one delivered a line like he did. So I'm very, very sad to see him go because there are so few voices like his left, certainly in comedy. You know, they just don't care who they offend because everyone's lost their sense of humor today. So it's very sad to hear the news about Norm Macdonald. We'll talk about him a little later in the show. He was a very, very funny guy. And, of course, a Canadian. They were all Canadian. All the funny people are Canadian. So let's own that. So a little exchange you heard off the top was, of course, between Justin Trudeau and a shirtless protester at an event in Vancouver on Monday. And, yes, the guy harassing Trudeau is a bonehead, okay? He was obnoxious. He was a boor. But engaging with him is below Trudeau. It is also, I think, very irresponsible because... All it does is signal to the anti-vax crowd that, oh, yes, they're getting under his thin skin. So he was asked a lot of questions about it today, like, why didn't you just ignore him? I think Canadians know that I have pretty thick skin. And uh, I am able to take uh, all sorts of different abuse, especially if it means that someone is not uh, somewhere else hassling frontline health workers or vulnerable Canadians. But he went after my family. He said hateful, misogynistic things about my wife. Not nice. No one should be attacking any 
wife or kids or whatever. I don't know why he told the guy to go to a hospital. Not very smart to say. So the guy was a pig. Full stop. Not defending him. But obnoxious people are not new on the campaign trail, all right? And if the guy was such a threat or a problem, and he was there for everyone to see in his pants, walking around, you want to fight, Mr. Trudeau? Let's get a fight. I mean, he was like, <laughs> he was a moron. So at any time, Trudeau's security detail could easily have removed him. But, you know, Trudeau keeps these people purposely and puts himself in these situations where he can use these protesters as a prop for his campaign. And so here he is in the middle of a TV interview, of course, with Global News at that point. And he decides to stop and put on this show instead of doing what he should have done, which is tune it out. Because all he's done now is fuel a fire of his own making. Because remember, it was Mr. Trudeau who chose to make vaccine mandates an issue. It was Trudeau who picked this fight. It was Trudeau who chose to weaponize an issue that before the election, health experts were speaking out. I had them on the show saying, don't politicize this because it will push the hesitant further away. He don't care. He's in the political fight of his life. Again, of his own choosing. But he's going to do anything he can to win, even if it means getting votes at the cost of creating more division and anger in a country that is very divided. And no matter who wins on September 20th, these protesters, they're still going to be around. And thanks to weeks of name-calling and weaponizing the issue, there are now more of them. And the thing about mobs, as Trudeau likes to call them, they don't go away. They just grow. They metastasize. And eventually they turn into something, I think, much bigger, much more dangerous, than the original cause. And so, yeah, why not ignore the guy? But the more obvious question I'd have asked is why did you weaponize this issue? Why are you so surprised that this self-created vaccine wedge is coming back to burn you? Because if he wins another term, or anyone else, he's going to have to somehow unite this country. I'd also be like, how is he going to do that? And does he take any accountability for polarizing this issue and polarizing people. Those are just some of the things I'd ask. Of course, he would never ask me to ask him. And those covering the election know he's playing a political game with this issue. That's what drives me so nuts. They aren't stupid. They know he is playing a game with this issue. And those running his campaign, they also are very well, very aware that it's a dangerous strategy. And they don't care. Because every day we see the same thing where we see an event planned where it places Trudeau in the firing line, and then he can kind of put up a, don't you have somewhere to be? Go away. Leave us alone. Like, he, he can just act on it. And they clearly don't care because they get their events planned, and then they put him in the firing line. One of the things I'd like to uh, also ask Trudeau, you know, if you were so seized over this issue, why didn't you implement something at the federal level months ago when you were buying vaccines or procuring vaccines or running around trying to find them like you had months months at least one year to come up with a framework why don't you do it then i mean in january he was against these things he said in january january 14th to be exact google it he said mandates create a two-tiered country so he was against them period but the day the writ dropped all about them 
And in June, June 2nd to be specific, Dr. Tam said mandates won't be implemented at all. So what changed? Oh, yes. That would be an election with no ballot question. And while it didn't get much coverage, I thought this was interesting. Four days ago, Dr. Tam was asked if there's any data to back up vaccine passports, if they even work. And Tam admitted, I don't know. In your opinion, do vaccine mandates or vaccine passports have any kind of an impact on boosting vaccination rates? And if so, what kind of an impact? We don't have, I I think, good uh, evaluation or statistics, except that provinces individually have said, um, I think, in the media uh, that they saw an increase in uptake. But, you know, the the question prior to that, which is, you know, do um, locally implemented requirements for vaccines to access non-essential services, for example, work, uh, that I think remains to be seen. So there you go. Tam admits, we don't know. There's no data, no studies, no research to see if, if they work. And, you know, for a government that constantly and certainly during this campaign is talking about how we must believe the science, it's all about the science. Well, there's no science backing up the main issue that Mr. Trudeau keeps campaigning on. I mean, it's no wonder Tam has been missing in action during the campaign. And so while Trudeau is using this issue to win an election, and he may very well win, I don't know what's going to happen Monday. I think we should be all wondering, you know, how much damage has been done in the last 30 days in a bid to win votes, because it threatens and hurts us all, period. So we'll talk about that. And one of the other things I want to know is how the hell is the Ontario passport situation going to help us? We learned today, and we will talk about this during the show, because I don't get it. The uh, Ford government coming out with its passport rules for vaccines. And all I can see, and we will go through it, is that there are so many loopholes in this and so many exemptions and so much fine print in it that I don't think it changes anything. What it does do, though, unfairly to businesses, again, puts the burden on them. Some of the answers we heard to the questions, they were ridiculous. I'm sorry. Because there are going to be people like these anti-vaxxers who want to go into businesses to make a point, and the businesses are being left to deal with it. They have to deal with it. They have to deal with someone coming in to make a point, and they're, oh, just call 911, says the health minister. Oh, okay, yeah, because Lord knows the cops have nothing else to do with their time, so you're going to have a bunch of businesses trying to deal with this and police it. I mean, it, it is rife with problems, which is, again, not a database decision or policy. This thing has been way too politicized, and frankly, that's what pisses me off. So what is this election all about? And from what I can see, it has been turned into a weaponized fight on vaccine mandates. And you might recall before the election, because we talked about it on this show, a number of medical experts had been warning politicians not to use this issue as a political toy. That politicizing this issue is only going to further alienate the hesitant. It'll push people further from getting the shot and cause the kind of divide in discourse that we have been seeing unfold in the United States. And yet here we are weeks later. And we've seen nothing but vaccine games being played. And right now, we have about 5 million Canadians who still don't have the shot. And after September 20th, 
the fighting may stop with the politicians, but these people will remain unvaccinated. And this election, I don't think, has helped them at all. Desantila Goleme-Kotra is a professor of microbiology at York University and joins me now. Good to have you, Professor. Thank you for having me. What are your thoughts on what you've witnessed? I mean, we had you on before the election. You're, you and a number of other colleagues were worried about this issue happening. What's your takeaway from what you've witnessed over the last three, four weeks? So, as you noted, the, the concern is politicizing this health matter, this health issue, that is of uh, uh, getting vaccinated as one of the ways uh, the main ways to really um, curve this pandemic and uh, get on with life, if you will, as it was uh, uh, pre-COVID. So any further nuances put on this issue, uh, obviously it will make people uh, a bit more hesitant. And as well as those uh, that are completely anti-vaccination uh, will give them ammunition to to use arguments as to see, you know, that's why we shouldn't uh, listen to the government and we shouldn't get uh, uh, vaccinated. So it's a delicate issue. It should remain on health-related issues, and hence any uh, political nuances should be uh, totally, uh, totally avoided. Well, I mean, that's kind of gone by the wayside now. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube because uh, Mr. Trudeau has chosen this as an issue. And so every single day we have seen vaccine mandates be used as a wedge issue. Um, I know you've seen Justin Trudeau, uh, you know, kind of, I would play a bit of a game with the protesters who show up, and we've seen these protests growing bigger by the day. And so, do you um, do you blame the politicians for for causing damage or more discourse to those who might have already gotten vaccinated had the you know election not come along and politics uh, been made of the issue? Um, so, as you noted, uh, Canada has done quite well, but still there are about 5 million people that remain uh, uh, to be vaccinated. And, and in order to really curb, uh, put a dent into this pandemic and uh, limit or uh, reduce to pretty, mal, pretty much to uh, levels that don't matter much, uh, the spread of the Delta virus, uh, we should be uh, careful. So... Um, in a way, uh, politicians need to discuss uh, um, many uh, issues. However, when it comes to health matters, they always they have to, um, you know, leave the, uh, the the matter to the experts, or if that needs to be discussed, details rather than you know, um, sort of in a way sounding like, oh, you must do this, or the other party is not doing this, or we are doing this, and the other party is not doing this. So it has to be um, tailored very carefully, if at all a health matter has to be discussed in the political campaign. So um, I'm a bit hesitant to sort of um, uh, uh, say in terms of uh, which party has dealt with this issue uh, better. In the beginning, uh-huh. actually, it was a very delicate moment, and I was really uh, uh, worried this becoming like an issue that has become in U.S. really concerned because Canada started very well, doing very well, but we were in this delicate point where we needed the remaining of the people uh, to really uh, um, make sure that uh, majority and we reached so-called herd immunity. So, um, so in a way, I just want to emphasize that politics have to, uh, you know, uh, uh, be away from health-related matters, and any health-related matters really should should be left to 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 the experts and um, 
that's how much I can say on, on this regard. And we are doing quite well. And with this, when these matters are left to the health expert, things go well. For example, I, I come from York University, and 96.3% of us at York, meaning staff, students, uh, faculties, are vaccinated. So, the, and the matter always has been uh, treated as a health issue, and uh, what the benefits are, and, and that has led to the success. And that's how uh, politicians actually should do as well. Well, they should, um, but they're not. And that that's just a reality. And so here we are, and I think they've turned the temperature up a lot more. Um, you know, anti-vaxxers are not the same as the hesitant. There are a lot of people uh, who do believe in vaccines, but who are still weary or nervous about these. And I'm my concern, I think, Uh, The concern would be that they have been now pushed further away because they've been called names, they've been alienated by politicians. Are you concerned about that? I am concerned, and actually, as other also social experts have indicated, is that the issue should be treated as a health-related matter, and if an, and, and if an opinion should be provided, it should be about, even if it's a politician, it should be about um, details of their plan. You know, um, if you um, sort of hesitant about the vaccines or against the vaccines, you know, this is what we can offer for, for those. Obviously, you cannot impose uh, on people. You have to provide uh, choices and options and educate them if there is room for that as well. Um, and that's where sometimes politicians uh, fall short of because it's not that expertise, if you will, to, to, to sort of uh, talk about health matters in just a health-related uh, uh, terms rather than so it's easy to sort of, you know, uh, get distracted and focus on what their party sort of uh, is looking at. So, um, and, you know, I'm glad to see that the media is bringing the attention but, and also calling up on experts to provide their opinions and sort of um, put the politicians on note that, you know, just stay away from health matters and uh, keep it uh, a health-related issue and need be uh, bring the experts to talk about it. Uh, rather than sort of putting the party as the party is doing the job in terms of you know reaching certain certain goals when it comes to vaccination, because indeed the doctors and the experts in this area has really done uh, what needs to be done to get the uh, public uh, vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, um, you know, if a politician can score points off an issue, they're going to. And this is an issue, I think, uh, uh, particularly for the liberals. They think that this is a good issue for them that will score points. The vote will happen, as you know, on on September 20th. Mm-hmm. But the noise and the rhetoric and these protests are only going to seemingly get bigger. Um, can the damage be undone from what we have uh, kind of witnessed from the alienation over the last three, four weeks? I think so, actually. There was a point where uh, at the beginning, first week, or when the campaign, political campaign started, that, um, you know, the experts start uh, uh, warning that, you know, look, this is becoming a bit political matter and it shouldn't. And all the politicians from all the parties involved uh, uh, sort of made a note that, yes, indeed, we should avoid this is not a political matter. But I guess as we're getting close to the election day, um, uh, as you noted, uh, rhetorics are becoming a bit more uh, fired up. And there is, I mean, it's very easy to, as you talk about what each party has done in this uh, uh, health-related matter, to sort of make it a political matter, like their party uh, brought uh, or did everything. Um, so a care, has to, extra care has to be put in order not to give ammunition to those that already are on the edge, already are blaming the politicians that are making these sort of imposing others uh, to, to get vaccinated. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, liberals uh, were in the par where uh, this pandemic started and is going on. So 
it's easy sometimes to um, uh, sort of uh, uh, be proud for what the government has done, federal government has done. But at the same time, they'll listen to the experts. They listened to their advice and took uh, um, their advice and uh, uh, made policies. And hence, mm. again, has to bring it back to the experts and, and listen to their advice and, uh, and listen to the point that this is not a political matter. And we know we need just this. Ex- we have to, um, just because uh, very few of us are left to get vaccinated, let's just put an extra care and let's leave this aside for the rest of what wow. we left. Wow. Saying it's too little, too late, but nonetheless, it's not because you guys didn't speak out and send those warnings. So I appreciate you joining us. Professor, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That is uh, Professor Golemi Kotra, who is uh, with York University, one of those who had raised their voice at the beginning of this pan- uh, this campaign to say, don't politicize vaccines. And sadly, politicians don't listen very well now, do they? Next Wednesday, September 27th, These vaccine certificates, along with a piece of valid government-issued ID, will be what you show at the door when asked to verify that you have been vaccinated where it is required. All right. Well, there you've got it. Ontario now has its marching orders on vaccine passports. So as of September 22nd, you will need proof of ID and vaccine if you want to go to a restaurant, gym, concert, theater, sporting events, pretty much anything indoors. And a QR code-based mobile application will also be made available to uh, replace the paper uh, vaccination receipts. But there will be exemptions. So, like, if you need to go to the bathroom and you're not vaccinated or you need to go pick up food, you will be able to go and do that. Or if you have health reasons. Uh, There's all the other exemptions. Weddings, funerals, religious gatherings also exempted. Um, And from what I'm taking away from this announcement, and there's a lot of loopholes in this, the honest is going to be left up to businesses and independent um, areas to verify the legitimacy of a medical exemption and to check vaccine receipts. What could go wrong? Ryan O'Connor, partner at Toronto-based Zayuna Law Firm, he joins us now a lot on this particular issue. Good to have you. Good to be with you again, Alex. I've kind of glossed over what this vaccine passport uh, will look like, but my first takeaway when I saw it was, okay, they've put something forward that looks like it's doing something, but there are a whole lot of but, 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 buts. Most of it, though, it seems to be put on the businesses to have to deal with. Am I right? You're exactly right, Alex, and you hit the nail on the head. This this isn't, with all of the exceptions and loopholes, this isn't really about containing uh, the spread of the virus that causes COVID. What the practical effect of the vaccine passport policy, again, with all the loopholes and exceptions, is just to impose more red tape on struggling small businesses, small businesses that have been really victims of a parallel pandemic during the course of the last 18 months. A parallel pandemic where they've been uh, required to close, open only with restrictions, only with caveats, incur additional costs with respect to uh, safety measures, with respect to uh, abiding by all of the public health restrictions when they were permitted to be open. So really, this is just about the imposition of red tape on businesses without, I think, really any sort of clear impact on the spread of COVID in the community. Yeah, that's the one thing. It's like, how is it going to keep me safe? I mean, if this is supposed to be the be-all, end-all answer, um, then do we get to lift other restrictions? Like, if I, if you've got your vaccination, I've got my vaccination, I've got my little passport, now, what are they giving us in return for this? 
it doesn't appear that uh, <laughs> anyone's getting much. If we're going to implement a vaccine passport as the means by which to reopen the economy to hear the rhetoric from our public health officials, hear the rhetoric from some of our politicians, then why aren't all of the other restrictions, which are mainly on the shoulders of small business, removed? If the vaccine passport is the solution uh, to, uh, you know, to, to COVID and its transmission and spread, and it's also going to be the solution of reopening the economy, that all the other restrictions should be rescinded. But businesses such as gyms, for example, such as uh, restaurants that have to uh, implement the vaccine passport policy are still subject to capacity restrictions. Restrictions, pardon me. They're still subject to uh, certain public health restrictions that other businesses uh, don't um, aren't subject to and don't have to abide by. So, again, if the premise of the vaccine passport policy is to get the economy reopened, then why are all the other public health restrictions, capacity limits, et cetera, still in place? It's just, from my perspective, nonsensical. Well, you know, look, if the vaccines are supposed to get us out of this, um, you know, a lot of it is, it, again, it's all smoke and mirrors it, it, the way I'm looking at it. And then the other thing is, you know, um, you know, listening to the health minister, it's going to be policed by independent and individual businesses. Well, that's great. But if you've got some anti-vaxxer in there who doesn't want to leave or, you know, you've got to check their passports, I mean, and you get some disgruntled, um, you know, uh, patron. She's like, well, just call 911. Well, I mean, if you live in Toronto and you call 911, it can take up to four hours for a, a non-emergency call. It, it's easier said than done. Well, and then you have the, the potential disturbance to uh, other patrons who just want to use uh, your business. And this really should be on the shoulder of, uh, uh, of already struggling, as I said, small businesses. Small businesses, it's not just about, in this case, Alex, having to check someone's ID, verify their vaccination slip. Businesses mm-hmm. may have to hire new staff for this. Um, you know, they are gonna, certainly going to have to train their staff. In some places, employ individuals who are in their late teens, early 20s, or even teenagers. We're going to entrust them to verify whether or not someone has a valid medical exemption. So, again, there's, it's, not just, it's not just the imposition of red tape. It's not just the imposition of new restrictions. It's, it's, all of that is associated with, with a cost. And then, of course, there's a cost as a... Uh, an indoor dining facility, a restaurant, have to hire additional security, or they're going to have persons bothering them, yeah. um, you know, asserting exemptions. So all of these things are, I, I think, our public health officials, they, they, you know, they try so hard to mean well, uh, but they always have, it seems, unintended consequences of the, uh, you know, the activities where they attempt to mean well um, throughout this entire pandemic. Not to mention, I mean, the whole issue itself has become so politicized. Um, I don't really see a sincerity to it. I mean, you've seen the UK, they're not doing this anymore. And just last week, Dr. Tam was asked, will it make a difference? And she said there's been no studies or even data uh, gathered on this. So we don't even know if they work. Uh, So I I don't have a problem with having to show proof of, of vaccination, you know, getting in schools and things like that. But again, this is not a science driven uh, policy. Well, much like all of our, most of our, pardon me, Alex, <laughs> pandemic restrictions, we have a situation, just to use an example, talk about the irrationality uh, of the policy. So it applies to indoor areas at horse racetracks. But yeah, there's an exception yeah. to that. And the exception is that while you're gambling at the horse racetrack indoors, you don't have to provide proof of vaccination. Well, that's the very reason why you're at the racetrack in the first place. Like, If you're gambling, are you... You know, are you immune to COVID? And I, and I raise that sort of tongue in cheek, but it also just demonstrates the rationality of the policy. But even more importantly, we know from the data, at least in Ontario, and we know in many other jurisdictions throughout the world, that um, 
you know, individuals who are vaccinated can still contract and spread COVID. So if the premise of the policy is to reduce the instances and incidences of COVID in the community, a vaccine passport doesn't do that at all. Because if everyone is vaccinated in a, in a premises subject to the policy, there's the potential still for COVID spread. Yeah. Stay tuned. This is the one issue that I think is going to drive everybody apart and drive people nuts. Ryan, we'll see where it goes. Thanks so much for your, uh, your insight into how this will work or won't. Appreciate it. Always good to be with you again, Alex. Thank you. Ryan, Ryan O'Connor is a partner at Toronto-based Zayuno Law Firm. He has taken off in a lot of cases during COVID uh, when it comes to things like civil liberty issues. So, If elected, one of the very first things the Trudeau government will implement is Bill C-10. Remember that little thing? Yes. This is the law they say is aimed at supporting Canadian entertainment, but also will clean up online hate. But what uh, this bill actually threatens to do is limit our freedom of speech. You know, what we see, what we hear, what we read online. This is a piece of legislation that will give political appointees and bureaucrats the power to censor what you put online, what I put online. And if they don't like it, your post can be taken down. You can be sent to a tribunal, handed a massive fine. The Liberals, as you recall, were determined to get this legislation passed before the election. They were so desperate to get it rushed through that they wanted to try to do so with no debate. And then, of course, Parliament was shut down for the election. Chris Sims, BC Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, been joining me with the big issues that you should be looking at during this election. This one, to me, Chris, is one of the more dangerous ones, and it's not even getting any talk on the, on the uh, campaign. It absolutely uh, is very dangerous uh, from a free speech standpoint, and it needs to, frankly, be talked about clearly. Uh, that mm. should have come up in all of the open debates, uh, but unfortunately, here we are. So the main issue that we take uh, as professional activists here at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation is uh, that this would stifle free speech. That means that videos that you're posting to platforms such as Twitter, and Facebook, Instagram, that could just be up to a bunch of bureaucrats, very similar to the CRTC, uh, which then would decide whether or not that's allowed. And then up on top of Bill C-10, which very interestingly was really hung up in the Senate, uh, who were stopping and taking a slower second sober look at it, which was very interesting. On top mm. of that, they were starting to float a brand new bill that they often refer to as online harms, which would have gone even further. Now, to be clear... Hate speech, okay, is already illegal. That's already in the criminal code. If you are, like, inciting terrorism, if you are calling for violence against an identifiable group, if you're doing something disgusting, like sharing pictures of child sexual abuse, those Uh are serious crimes. That's in the criminal code. That's not what we're talking about here. The new online harms bill comes in under the Minister of Canadian Heritage, not the Justice Ministry. So this is where we're urging everybody, no matter how you vote usually, uh, your right to free speech and expressing yourself could be severely curtailed if these things become law. And when a politician knocks on your door, you ask them about this. Yeah, and it's one of those issues, and, I, and I, I've talked about this a lot on the show, and certainly Michael Geist, who knows probably more about this than anybody, has been waving the warning flags on this. And there was something weird about it, Chris, because this government was so desperate, desperate to get this push through. Stephen Gibble, the Minister of Heritage, didn't understand the bill and couldn't explain it. 
Um, and so, look, it's been pushed to most people as leveling the playing field with Internet companies, you know, and streaming services or um, making sure that regulation of content on the Internet is happening and getting rid of hate. And who on the surface does not want that? Of course. But it's impossible to do. And it goes way further than that. In, in fact, a tribunal could literally lay a fine against Chris Sims of uh, it's like a, a huge fine and tie up years of your life if they don't like something you post. Yes, exactly. And there's the C10 element and the online harms element. You can really think of them as two sides of the same coin. On top of the tribunal, there will be a hand-picked, government-appointed czar, basically, Mm. who gets to decide these things. This isn't somebody that we vote for. This is a political appointee by the government of the day. Mm. And I'll I'll give you this example. Which, Uh, if it's not a liberal, would be a conservative. So if you don't like the liberals doing it, you should be no happier for a conservative or a green or an NDP doing it. Exactly. If you're a big fan of Justin Trudeau and he doesn't win, do you want Aaron O'Toole deciding what you can Mm. say online? If the answer is no, No, then you better get busy on this. I'll give you a quick example. In 2003, you remember the huge protests against the Iraq war? That was was organized largely online by largely left-wing groups that were sharing information online. They were sharing videos. They were sharing, you know, rants to camera, lots of audio. They organized that massive protest in January on Parliament Hill. A few weeks later, Kretchen stood up in the House and said, we're not going. Canada's staying out. Under this legislation, that could have been just deleted and not allowed to be posted. Do we really want to go down that route? Yeah, I think people kind of have compartmentalized this as, well, you know, it's just about free speech. You know, there goes the right again, all worried about the free speech. But it really is one of those things that it doesn't bother you when it's, let's say, silencing Alex Pearson's voice. But this is more draconian than that, because it, if you don't like it, me one day, it'll happen to you, because eventually someone will be offended by what you say. So first it starts with me, but it will come your way. Exactly. It, if it doesn't come for you today, it can come for Naomi Klein the next day or yeah. Judy Rebic the next day. Um, this is where we have to have these firm rules. One of the reasons why it's right in the Charter and having freedom of speech is a law in Canada is for this very reason. So we can't just be dictating to each other how we express ourselves. And so, unfortunately, this hasn't really come up. You're right in the election. Um, I'm imploring your listeners, left, right and center. Um, if you're hearing from a politician, you ask them about this because you could be muzzled. Absolutely. And uh, I asked you and because I've, I've known you for quite a while, I was like, all right, what's kind of sticking out in your, you know, what's sticking in your craw today? And you, you mentioned this and I do agree because it really some of the big, big issues, Chris, as we know, have not been covered by this because all the oxygen in the room has been taken up by vaccine mandate wedge issues. So, um, yes, word to the warning. You've been warned. Uh, word to the wise. You've been warned. Appreciate your time on this, Chris. Thank you. Chris Sims with the uh, Canadian Taxpayers Federation, but this is an issue close to her heart. And so certainly, um, you know, wanted you to be aware of it because, again, I don't know if you remember the kind of flurry of desperation that Stephen Gable was going around saying this has to be done now, has to be done, had to be done now before the election and no debate, no questioning it, no amendment, nothing. Just get it through. And it's look, no, that's not how it works in this country. It's not how it's supposed to work. Thank you for tuning in. Of course, you can listen live starting Monday through Friday, 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson on Point, and this is Global News Radio.